Join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Bracewell, and you're listening to Little Oak Weekly. Thanks for joining today. A few items to, a few housekeeping items here for a moment. Um, we've made a slight adjustment to our regularly planned uh, business planning schedule. And in light of that, with what's been going on with the uh, the flooding and all the crap that we've been dealing with out here in the Valley, um, Christy Rutherford has been so gracious enough to join me on today's episode. And this conversation is uh, is just fantastic. I, I really do think it's got a lot of value and you guys are going to enjoy it. Christy agreed to uh, come on and chat business planning because her and I had just actually started texting one another the other day and she was asking a lot of great questions. I thought, hey, you know what, this would be a great public conversation and would also kind of make up for a part one business planning session that we had planned to do in the Surrey location. And then as you guys all know, it was canceled uh, due to what went on with the flooding. So this is a uh, this is meant to be a a part one conversation. Part two is still happening uh, in our Surrey office live here in in just a couple of days. We're going to have that recorded for everybody as well, so you'll be able to see it if you can't be there. But but this this conversation here today with Christy is an overview of you know my thoughts on the way business planning needs to be approached. We uh, we get into her experience and what she's done in the last few years and how she's approaching this year. And we end up diving into a lot of kind of lower level, um, great, or I should say higher level uh, conversations into some of the nitty gritty details in terms of how to do it, what to do, uh, some typical roadblocks or things that people get caught up on. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was all around. I think it was a really high quality uh, conversation that um, I know you guys are going to benefit from. So thanks to Christy for doing this. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, look forward to seeing whoever's going to be there live on Wednesday for part two. And in next week's episode, we'll get back to uh, the uh, part two of the Larry Siebert conversation. Uh, we had released part one and then we're calling an audible here and doing this business planning for obvious reasons. So uh, we'll get back to Larry next week. So without further ado, please enjoy Christy Rutherford and business planning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? I'm great. I'm good. I'm uh I'm I'm checking your sound, so I want you to talk to me about that devastating Cowboys loss yesterday. Oh, that's a nice way to start this. <laughs> <laughs> it was Thanksgiving too. Well, I, I knew I know that you won't have a hard time talking about it, and you told me you're a bit nervous, so you'll be you can easily talk about the Cowboys. Yeah, well, especially after a loss like that at home, that's tough. Tough. Very. That's for sure. Very tough. That and some questionable refereeing as well. Yeah, that that <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a tough one to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, There's a couple people from our office actually down there that got to see it yesterday, which is pretty sweet. Who was you're saying? It. We some people from our office were down there. Uh, not our office necessarily, but just some realtors were down there. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. That game was in Dallas, correct? Yeah, it was at home. Yeah, Amazing. I miss it. Yeah. Okay, so hey, have you? I've actually always. Uh, so have you always been an NFL fan or what? Uh, not necessarily. I probably, uh, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I bought tickets for my dad who has been a Cowboys fan for forever. He'd never been to a game. So I got him tickets 
to the old stadium. Yeah. And that was about 12 years ago now. Yeah. So we went down there and it's been a tradition ever since we go down every year. And do you, do you just pick any random game or do you have the same week you go or? We kind of switch it up. It depends. So usually we like to do a division game, but we try to go sometime in November, which it stings to watch these games up here. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Do you play fantasy football? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. This how many, is, how many not, leagues? Just one. Just, just one. one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like to dabble in too much. Me too. I'm in one. I'm in. I'm in one. Dan Mickles in uh, in my league with me this year. Oh really? Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I actually. That. I was. I, maybe next year. I. Uh, I contemplated doing an office league this year. Well, I was just going to say that'd be so much fun. It would be. I didn't know. Like I, I don't hear people talk about it, so I didn't know if we would, if we have, uh, you know, fantasy footballers in the office. But we must. I mean, it's so popular. I'm sure there's a bunch of guys that play. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the league I was in, we uh, we went from a, it was a ten team league, and we went to a twelve team league this year, and we needed a guy, so Dan jumped in, and of course Dan is one of the you know he's one of the top guys this year, so he's kind of pissing me off. Yeah, <laughs> you got beef with him already. Yeah, <laughs> we're kind of creeping to the end of it too. So yeah, it's 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 so yeah, so yes, <laughs> I'm here. I am you know watching Thursday, uh, you know Thanksgiving football yesterday, and I had. I had three players playing, so I was uh, I was very in tune to what was going on. You had skin in the game, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's what it does, right? Like, even if you don't, even if you don't like the team or you're not that interested in them, I mean, the moment you're engaged in fantasy, then all of a sudden you're watching, you know, the Browns versus the Jets because because you got somebody in the game. It's kind of cool. Totally. I have some girlfriends who weren't into football at all, and they started getting into fantasy just because their friends did and stuff like that, and they're diehards now. <laughs> okay, so then next next season, me and you can co-manage a uh, a league, and we'll do, do it. it. We'll we'll do a <laughs> we'll do a little local league. Love it. That sounds good. <laughs> okay, so direction for the conversation today. This kind of happened, uh, I would say, very organically. Mm-hmm. You saw, I guess, you saw one of our videos that we released about business planning, or you had seen something, and then you started texting me with some questions which were, you know, right in line with, with stuff that we want to be covering and what we've planned to cover. And then our plan in the way we were going to do business planning internally got upended this year because of the, the flooding. And, you know, we just kind of have been on, uh, on the, whatever, we've been an emergency response here for the last couple of weeks. So, uh, yeah. so I'm using you this morning and you've agreed to be used and I think it's going to be great. And so the, what I want to do here is because it was supposed to be a two-part series this coming Wednesday, we're going to I'm going to try to make this Wednesday session the part two, and you and I are going to kind of chat out the part one to the series, if that makes sense. But I want to talk through what you've uh, experienced in business planning, uh, what you've what you've tried and maybe enjoyed and what's been unsuccessful, and then kind of use that as our platform for, you know, getting into conversation through what I would say is like my six point strategy. And it's how I've approached my business planning. I don't want to say forever, but over the years I've learned from, you know, a number of people. And then this is what I've created and what I've done for at least the last 10 or 11 years. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, anyways, you're my guinea pig. And thanks for reaching yeah. out and, and, and texting me. You started text, you know, you were, you were power texting me yesterday with these great questions. I said, oh, this is stupid. We just got to record this conversation. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So what have, let's start with, let's put you on you on the hot seat for a second then what like Shoot, what have yeah. you done in the last few years and maybe it's not the same every year but what 
you know, prior to me and you talking, where had your business planning evolved to and what are you planning to do this year? What were you thinking about? Yeah, so this kind of, it definitely happened organically. I had posted something on Instagram just because I was reflecting coming to the end of the year on uh, what I had written practically four years ago when I started in the business. Um, I was really lucky about a year into working with Remax through connections in the office to meet someone um, who mentored me and, and is very um, strategic when it comes to business planning. So he helped me a lot with um, being very um, measurable and tactical with business planning. And that was very kind of almost, it was incredible to be able to look back at my one, three and five year goal plans and some of the things in year four or in year five on my goal plan had already been accomplished in year four. So that is kind of where I found success. And that was what I was reflecting on. And then it's just snowballed into a great conversation about how you break down business planning and, and almost the functionality of how you do it. And you take kind of each step to another level. And it was just, it was just interesting going back and forth, but I found that just being intentional about writing down what you want your future to look like is very impactful. So is this, this individual that is this person in our office or who can we name this person? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he wants me to, yeah, I don't know if he wants me to name him, but he, um, yeah, he was extremely instrumental in um, helping me get started in this business and the fundamentals of what it looks like. So, and business planning is definitely his forte, but it was all built from building connections in the office. Yeah. So what are what are the the what are a few takeaways then for what you've been doing? I mean, clearly it's it's worked to a degree. If you get to year four and you went, hey, I've accomplished you know a lot of what I wanted to accomplish. Like, what did that practically look like for you in terms of like when would you do it and and physically what were you doing uh, to finish your business planning? Yeah, it was. I definitely think it was important. And then I wrote my business plan first. And then um, when sharing it um, with like with a few people, breaking those things down into extremely measurable um, activities was instrumental. Um, and then not making it overwhelming. Um, some of the, the posts that I had posted on Instagram actually the other day, I got a lot of feedback back of how people usually break down their business plans. And um, everyone was pretty aligned, and, and which is nice. But quarterly taking um, measurement, measurements quarterly rather than yearly was hugely instrumental and then making sure that everything and every goal that you had was broken down to a fine tooth comb, including what you wanted to make in commissions for the year, broken down to where you're getting your last, your previous year, where you're getting that business from. And then if you can capitalize on that further. Totally. That I would say mm -hmm. that that's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of commonality there between, you know, what I, what I think and what I'll, and, and what I'll teach and what we'll discuss, like you, you have to be able to measure your plan. I think, what was the word you, you think you used the word measurables and, uh, and doing that quarterly. Yeah. Vitally important. I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Keeping it visual is great. The six pieces that I carve this up into are disconnection, reflection, and analyzation. I actually use, uh, sometimes I'll say measuring, I'll, I'll, I'll flip analyzation and measuring back and forth but um so disconnection reflection and analyzation dreaming then building then implementation and then lastly management and i think you reached out on the disconnect i think a disconnecting piece went out and then you reached out and we started talking about i think you asked me like well how do you disconnect what do you mean mm -hmm. so 
I'll maybe just start by answering that and going through that, and then we can kick that around for a bit. But what I've experienced, so business planning for me started, I would say, um, you know, when I first engaged with it, you know, basically when I started business or real estate 18 years ago, I would say that the level of understanding I had of it was just like, well, decide what you want to do next year and then, you know, write it down. And I think that there's a lot to them. If you're going to do it well and in depth, I think there's a big mental piece that you have to prepare for. And so for me, disconnecting from the busyness and the noise of the world and the, you know, the day-to-day whatever stuff that we got going Mm -hmm. on became really significant to be able to get the most out of, you know, whatever time you're going to put into business planning, but also to make sure that you're ending up with something that you can truly stand behind and say, you know, this is the direction I want to go. So, mm-hmm. um, so for me that at some point in time that, that turned into going away for a day and then I've got a bit of a routine where, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of value in sweating and exercise. So then you know, I'll plan this day out where I typically book a hotel, you know, the day will start early where I get a sweat on somehow, and then I'm going to be totally disconnected from you know the world for roughly a 24 to 36 hour period and for me that's usually been in some type of a hotel in downtown Vancouver <laughs> not always but but something like that and and I'm totally alone like you know I've had people ask me like well do you take your family or do you go with your wife and it's like well no I love going away with my family and my wife but this is like very intentional I go there with an agenda and like Absolutely. even the way that the day breaks down for me is typically like you know exercising early just because I, I feel good, the blood gets going. I feel like I think clear when I do that. And then each hour of the day, like I have it planned out in terms of processes that I'll go through. And it's this six, these six processes that I kind of, I, I go through and I allow a few hours for, you know, I start with, um, you know, disconnection is, is this piece of basically just powering down and letting my brain kind of go into places that it usually doesn't get into. And then from there, you know, I feel like I'm then able to reflect, measure, and analyze. Um, and I'll spend hours actually diving through my previous year, asking a lot of, you know, what I think are important questions about what happened in the year, why things occurred, all, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Have you, what do you do when, so let's talk about, you know, the reflect and measure piece, because I know you, you brought that up. What, what, what are your processes? What will you go through? when you, um, when you reflect on, on a previous year? Yeah. I I think you know, going back to disconnect for a second, I think that's where the conversation sparked and where I was asking you how big of an impact that had to be completely disconnected from the world. And, and cause it's very easy in this business to get, um, stressed and there's, I mean, there's always more quote unquote pressing things to do. And I just thought that was a really cool way to go about it. I thought, thought that's something I would definitely try. I'm actually here. I'm looking at, I'm pulling up the text you sent me. So you said, I was thinking of this, take off an entire night, go to the gym or run. And then you just sit in your thoughts, et cetera, create your own goals. Like, yeah, you were trying that. That's what you were um, that. And then I said, yeah, get a hotel, leave early in the day, exercise, do a reflection session in the morning, dreaming session after lunch, build out a plan in the afternoon break, then take the rest of the night off next morning, refine your plan, build the input. Well, whatever. I kept on going, but sorry, I interrupted you. Go, go, go ahead. No, no. I just think that time is so invaluable. There's always, like you said, I think I was, um, I saw this somewhere where you had said like, there's always going to be a beep or a ring or someone needing you or, 
a more quote unquote pressing thing to do. And I just, I don't know. I think there's peace in silence sometimes that we don't always give ourselves. And I think that's very cool. I think you get a lot out of it, which is what I kind of took away from that. Yeah. So I would say sum it up for me anyway, and maybe this isn't true of everybody, but for myself, if I'm going to take, like, I would say that, that planning the next year is a very significant task that needs to be taken seriously. And I know that my brain is incapable of taking that task seriously unless it's completely unplugged from every other distraction. And what I've learned through the years is that if I'm able to do that, then the value that I get out of that time that I invest in the planning is incredibly better then, because I've had years where I didn't do this. Like if I go back, like say right. in the last 10 or 11 years, there's been years where it's like, oh, you know, I, I kind of did it, but I did it crappy or I didn't, you know, or I, I've had years where I didn't go away for an entire day. What I did is I said, oh, you know what? I don't have the time to do this. So I'm going to go and just book off a half a day. And in half a day, I'm going to, you know, be at a coffee shop alone. I'm going to try to get this done. And it's just not, for me anyway, it's just not the same. I need to be able to totally unplug, literally put my phone on airplane mode. So no, nobody can reach you and you can't get distracted by social media. And then it takes a few hours for me anyway, just to power down my mind so Completely. that yeah. I can then begin to get the work done. I think that, that probably... That makes complete sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's the, and that's me. I mean, you know, some people might hear that and maybe they don't need that or whatever, but I've tried to do it without doing that and the result is just nowhere near the same so you found when you went away that was like exponentially different than when you just kind of time blocked a day to lock yourself in a room kind of thing yeah you actually found that that was measurably different okay, to- yeah totally like and, and where it was different like i don't want to make it sound like the next year was shitty compared to the other year like i you know I, it's no. just i would describe it like this when i've come away from doing a session where let's say I, I did a day or half a day, I find that the plan is not as nearly in depth as I could that. It, mm-hmm. ha- it otherwise could have been. I don't, yeah, I, I would say I just don't feel like I've, yeah, maybe that's all I could say is that I haven't gone to the same depth. And then coming out of it in those years where I feel like I maybe rushed the process, I would say that um, there's some things that I didn't do as well as I could have. So like, as an example, like one of the, the things that, that we get to here, um, my, the, the fifth and sixth step. So implementation and management. So implementation in my mind is, you know, you've built out what you want to do. So, you know, I'll use the terminology and maybe we'll get to this more, but I'll use the terminology revenue stream. So a person might say, okay, I'm going to have, you know, I want, I want to be a database first kind of agent. So I got to have a plan for my database. I want to, um, I want to be really good on social media. I want to have a sweet Instagram feed. So I want to drive revenue from Instagram. And then maybe that person might also say, uh, I'm farming a neighborhood as an example. So I would Mm -hmm. say those are their three primary revenue streams. And I'm a proponent where I I believe that everybody needs to have three revenue streams, uh, at at a minimum. And then, so the implementation part is the actual like physical building out of that this is how we're going to do this so it's going through month by month in the next 12 months saying okay what am i doing and so like let's just say for example instagram you'd have to decide like okay well how many posts do i need a day what kind of con or not a day let's say a week 
Uh, what's my content going to be? What's going to be the ratio of content from like personal lifestyle stuff to real estate stuff? And it's filling in the entire calendar for each revenue stream for a 12 month period. So that's an example where when I go away for a day and do this, what I would say properly, I come away from that session with like a fully detailed built out implementation strategy. So then when I yeah. wake up on January the 4th, I'm not looking at myself going, hmm, I wonder how I should do this. Like it's there. And I'm just looking yeah. at the plan going, oh, I, I guess I better call this person because I got to shoot this video or like whatever it is. Right. That, that would be the difference because that takes time and sometimes research as well. Like oftentimes in these moments when I'm building out these, whatever the plan is, you might have to be jump online and be like, well, how should I do this? Or how should I do that? Or maybe you go on to somebody else's Instagram feed, or you go research another agent because you know, they're really good at farming a neighborhood. Like there's, there's work that comes into some of these processes that just physically takes hours of time, uninterrupted time. Uninterrupted time. Yeah, exactly. We got rambling there on implementation, but there's a lot, there's a lot in between. So how do you decide, I have a question for you. How do you decide what you want to do? Like, how do you decide where you want your business to come from? What's that been like for you? Yeah, I think over the last couple of years, I think I've realized that everyone runs their business very differently, no matter what their end result is at the end of the year, everyone kind of runs their business. I mean, people don't do what they're not necessarily good at. So you generally stick to your strengths, whether that be database or social media or uh, web leads or whatever may have you. And I think it takes some time to decide what you're good at and where you, you know what I mean? You don't have to kind of tongue and cheek, grit your teeth every time you want to, you know what I mean? Build your business. So you have to kind of take the time to decide what you want your business to look like and how you're going to do it. And I think that generally comes from what you're better at or what feels right. Right. And I think that just makes your job a little bit easier by picking those things that drive your business and are productive in your business that obviously you may be a little bit better at than some. Some people thrive on web leads. Some people drive a lot of business from social media because they're very influential on social media and they like video, you know? Mm -hmm. So everyone runs their business so differently. And I think that's where you, that's where I started anyways, was to start to see what felt very natural to me. Um, and then leaning into those things, um, you start to build your business the way that you want to. And that's kind of where I started from. Try everything. What are you doing now? What would you say then, like, if you want to, if you can use my language of revenue streams, if you're okay with that, what are, what are your revenue streams that you're using today? At this particular moment, I'm trying to work on social media. This is going to be part of 2022. But David Rochelle told me when I first started, I was pleading to him and asked him, what do I do to make, but it took me six months to do a deal. Um, and I was just, dying to get in the business. And I said, what do I do? And he said, throw spaghetti at a wall. <laughs> See what yeah. And he wasn't wrong. I tried everything. So at this point, like in year four, I'm a hundred percent repeat and referral, but I've, I've tried it all and saw what sucks. So right now it's just connecting with my clients past, present, then in social media. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I've got going on. So what have you, what have you disliked? Is there something that you like, so if you noticed a connection between a certain activity produces a certain type of client or a certain type of transaction? Absolutely. So what, yep. get, fill that in a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, everything from open houses when they were a little bit more common yep. to web leads, um, warm calling, cold calling, 
calling your family and friends with sphere of influence, calling to social media, to, yeah, all, all, all of that connection to the office. Like different activities, or, or sorry, different revenue streams can mm-hmm. produce different type of client interaction. So, you know, clearly database activity produces an interaction with somebody who's more known and trusted than let's say a web lead. Absolutely. So have you, as you, as you, and you've done a lot of web leads. Like, I mean, you've, you've put, I, I believe so, right? I think you've done that for a number of years quite successfully. Is there some things that you look at and just say, okay, I really don't enjoy that because I don't enjoy that type of sales process, whether that's open houses, or I don't know if you've done neighborhood marketing or web leads, and then you yeah. gravitate towards some things for other reasons as well. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, yeah, to answer your question. Yeah, so they, uh, open houses I found extremely uh, fruitful because I like connection. I like to be able to communicate and yep. and have that connect, human connection with somebody. And then web leads was something I struggled with. I didn't, I didn't enjoy the interaction. I've met some of my best clients doing it, so I can't knock it by any mm-hmm. stretch. At the same time, it just was something that felt not natural to me. Um, and those interactions, they did come, it's a number of games, so they, I, I got some amazing clients out of that for sure. And it was something that I tried, but it didn't necessarily feel natural to me. So my biggest, the ones that I've tried and done the best with is, is um, repeat and referral. So those connections are, are more trusted. They already have one um, kind of one more layer of, of trust with me based on a friend or family member of referral. And that's been uh, what I found the most fruitful um, and the best connections that I have. I'm very, yeah, very grateful for them. And what is like, so looking ahead to this year then, so have you gone through your, your business planning for 2022 or are you kind of right in the middle of it then? Well, interestingly enough, I I started um, and had a good amount done and then this conversation started and I I think maybe this isn't, uh, maybe I want to go back and reassess and go and lock myself um, (laughs) in a different area for a little bit and and reevaluate. I think that's step two. I'm going to reflect on my business plan. Yeah. <laughs> and where do you feel like you're maybe missing something then right now? I want to make sure because my clientele are coming from repeat referral, I want to make sure that I do everything I possibly can to nurture and keep that consistent. Because um, I mean, if you don't, if you don't keep those things consistent, that stuff can go away. And I just want to make sure that um, I've broken each and every step down in order to retain those clientele and those repeat referral business. And I think that would take some time, again, now, a way to, to dive into that and see what it looks like after. So can we, uh, let's, do a, let's do a little exercise together if I can um, put you on the operation table for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goody. So how many transactions uh, have you done year to date? Not, and I mean, when I ask that, I just, maybe you know this, but I want to clarify, like when I talk through this, I'll be referring to not deals that closed and paid out, deals that were written and firmed up. It doesn't matter. You can measure it either way, but I mean, you got to be consistent. You know, you can't flip back and forth. So what I'm asking is written and subjects removed. Written and subjects removed because there were a few off market and pre-construction 26, I believe. Okay. So then let's take 26. And you might do one or two more, but let's just go 26 for now. Um, yeah. How many offhand are, though, are, you know, what you would say are database driven? And, and what database needs to be either a past client or a referral from a past client. 
This year, 100%. All 26? That's right. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So no, I don't know, random sign call. You obviously, you, you didn't do any internet leads or sorry, uh, lead gen then? No. Yeah. This year has been a bit different. Yeah. No, no lead gen. Um, yeah. Nothing from social media. It has been 100% repeat referral. So that must feel great, but do you feel, okay, so there's two ways to think about that. There are people in the industry that would say, that's amazing. Never walk away from that. That's, and, you know, just figure out how to grow, you know, more, grow those transactions so that you can do 40 a year of your database or whatever you're hoping to do. But do you feel like you need another stream of revenue? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's. And why do you feel that? There, I don't want to, I mean, I, you never want to put all your eggs in one basket. My, my yeah. database is a great thing and it's been wonderful to me this year. Um, you work for it, but it's been wonderful to me and I'm very grateful. But when it comes to kind of risk tolerance, you want to make sure that you are well doing everything you can in order to build a business. And I have pretty lofty goals for 2022 and that might include adding a few more revenue streams, things that feel natural to me. Yeah. So how do you decide having done 26 deals, how, where are you in your brain and how do you decide what you want to do for next year and what impacts whether or not you tell yourself you want to do 30 or 40 or 50? Like, how are you working that out in your mind? A couple factors. I think uh, your lifestyle is one of them, which I think is big, whether it comes to like monetary or your time um, and, and deciding what that looks like. I know what it looks like to do 26 deals on my own. Yep without assistant help, what do I want my world to look like next year? And I think that's where you decide on all fronts, monetary, your time, the way you want to run your business. I think that's how I decided where I want to go next year. So you just triggered something in my, there's two things I want to make sure I don't lose my train of thought. So one piece, you talked about time. Time is a massive conversation in this. So it, it is so easy. So you know, if somebody has done 26 transactions, it's so easy for somebody to say, well, I want to do 50 or I want to do 40 or whatever it is. But we have to think about what that means, to your point, lifestyle and also the time it takes to drive that revenue. So I, I am a firm believer, like there are situations absolutely where somebody, you know, does 20 or 30 deals and then the stars align and their business doubles in a year. But I would say that that's the rare story. And there's, and for every story like that, there's also, you know, a fair amount of stories of burnout that come in that situation as well, because, you know, of of the energy and and all that's involved in in growth that fast, you know, significant growth would be a 50% growth. So if somebody's done 20 transactions, going to 30 is a massive leap. And, you know, we have to be careful, I think, in this process to not compare ourselves to other people, because in that conversation, the person who's done 20 transactions might say, well, 30 is not that big of a deal because, and then they're, they're looking outside themselves and they're seeing agents who are doing 60, and 70 and 80. But what we don't remember in those moments is that a lot, if not all of those agents who are doing that volume, they've learned lessons along the way to get to that point, And they've built systems that can support that volume of business. If you're a 20 agent or a 20 deal agent, there are so many lessons and systems to be built and learned to get to 40, let alone 80. And so to just all of a sudden 
get there uh, in an unnatural way can can create a lot of problems, actually. Bur- burnout being one of them. All that being said, I, I think, generally speaking, if I hear somebody tell me that they're planning to grow their business more than 50%, I'm all, I'm not saying that like it's impossible, but I'm looking, I'm asking some serious questions about, okay, I want to see the plan behind it. And I want to see if there's actually been thought put into, you know, growth of revenue streams and then an understanding of the time and money it takes to grow those revenue streams. Because, you know, if somebody says, okay, well, I've never done social media and I now want to, you know, create a, a you know, a, uh, that stream and then i then i would say okay well there's you need to have content plans driving content takes significant amount of time you need to be using high quality video are you shooting that video are you paying someone to shoot that video like having done this myself i can say that that is hours of investment and there's a money investment and so it's these these types of things i think people sometimes when you hear these crazy goals i don't think people have thought through all of this stuff is what i'm trying to say yeah, well, I guess this is the entire point of doing the step-by-step process. Is that generally speaking, when you're looking at your next year, how you decide monetarily what you want to accomplish? Or do you kind of work backwards? How do you usually figure that out? Good, great, great question. So in back into the analyzation, so if we back up, one of the things that I do in analyzation is I go through the literally, you know, what we learned in grade two, who, what, when, where, why and sometimes how i'm not i'm not joking like this is literally i'll actually reference it in one of the videos that'll come out here is because we're releasing little pieces through videos throughout the next weeks and i and i reference the berenstain bears because i remember i have a memory of berenstain bears (laughs) in grade two my teacher you know we're, we're, we're they're teaching reading comprehension and so you read the story and then you know you get tested at the end and it's like who was in a fight, you know, and why was Brother Bear mad? And like, you know, these typical, typical basic <laughs> kid things. But I do that for every one of my transactions. So I will go through every deal. And the first thing I do is I go, okay, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? And so you, you categorize it and you go, okay. And I do this not just at the end of the year. It happens throughout the year. But it's like, okay, for me, my brain mainstreams were, you know, database. I farmed neighborhoods for years. And then uh, I had a uh, revenue stream that I called business associations. And for me, that was, you know, intentional relationships with people who are in positions of influence and power within my community. So that could be people who are in politics, people who are in banking, lawyers, doctors, whatever. I'm connecting with them solely for the purpose of fostering a relationship that leads to revenue. And I, I really enjoyed that revenue. So now once I've broken, let's say 2021's deals, down into their categories. Now I take it a step further and I say, okay, what types of commissions came out of each of these streams, both broken down to buyer and seller? And it's actually quite shocking how Mm -hmm. different these numbers are. So, you know, this is where, this is where you get below the surface. And I think where a a business plan can really be amazing when you start to get to these depths. So, because if a person makes, you know, 300 grand a year, and they did 30 transactions, then they're just going to go, I make on average 10 grand a deal. And I would say, absolutely not. That's not true. There's portions of your business where you're probably averaging $16,000 a transaction. And there's other areas where you're averaging six. It's important that we figure that out and know that because if a person says, well, I want to go and do 40 transactions, well, then you've got to ask, well, what 
type of transactions are you going to go and add because that's going to dictate the monetary piece. And sometimes what we're saying is not congruent with what we're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So like for I'll use an example of a neighborhood like this is how I broke down neighborhoods for years and I I still do it to this day. When you're farming a neighborhood, you got to go, okay, well, I mean, how do I know what I'm going to sell in a neighborhood? So for me, the first neighborhood I started with was actually about 800 houses. I, I actually like to do neighborhoods. I like to do smaller numbers, but using 800 as the example of when my, my first neighborhood I was in, I did a historical search uh, over a number of years and I tried to figure out what's the percentage that people are moving in and out of this neighborhood. And, and a lot of neighborhoods would have these numbers, but on average in this neighborhood, there was about a five to 6% turnover rate averaged out over about seven years. So I knew right away, okay, there's 40 listings uh, that are going to come up every single year. So if there's 40 listings in a neighborhood, then looking at some industry averages of what other agents were able to do in farming neighborhoods, I had read and learned that, you know, a really good goal would be to get 20% market share. So if we know that there's 40 listings, that means the high watermark would be that I'm getting eight listings. And so if there's eight listings that I'm shooting towards, then I start to work backwards. What do these homes sell for? I work out what would the average commission be? And now I have a revenue goal that I'm aiming for. I know that in that neighborhood, if I were able to get eight listings and, you know, based on sales numbers, an average listing commission would be $16,000, you know, plunk in the math, whatever that is, 130,000. I know that that's the high watermark. Now that's not realistic for year one. Uh, I would also read and know that, you know, to get to that point, it might take me three to four years to get to 20% market share in a neighborhood. So then you got to go, okay, well, what's reasonable for year one? And and in year one, it might actually be something like 5% market share. So digging into it from that perspective and letting, I would say, the work and the science dictate the numbers. I would say that in our industry, we're guilty of the opposite. A person just says, well, I want to make $100,000 more, or I want to do 20 more deals. And there's no data in behind the conversation. This is, I would say, a data-driven conversation. And sometimes those data-driven conversations, they're not attractive because if you told a person, go farm a neighborhood, spend $18,000 farming the neighborhood, and in year one, you're going to make maybe $40,000. Yeah. That's not attractive. But you can't be thinking, like with neighborhood farming as an example, you can't be thinking about one year. You've got to think of it as a as a three-year plan at least. Right, yeah, and you're working that back into actionable steps, which is obviously that point as well, right? You're starting with what you're looking at rather than just the end goal, working it back into actionable steps so that you can actually physically go and do the things that you need to to create that revenue, which makes sense. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I have, I would say, a very deep understanding of neighborhood marketing because I've personally done it for a number of years. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, guru or whatever, but I feel like I can have it's the an first time I've heard it broken down like that, to be honest. So yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I feel like I'm in a position where I can have a, you know, I could talk for an hour about neighborhood marketing if you want. And because I've done it, but there's other revenue streams where I go like, okay, so I mean, I've engaged heavily in social media now through the brokerage from the brokerage perspective, but I never yeah. used social media to drive revenue in my sales business, even though I haven't done it. I would still say that type of conversation needs to be occurring in every revenue. I might not be able to talk about it for an hour like I can neighborhood stuff, but but I just believe 
wholeheartedly that if we can't have an in-depth conversation about, you know, the who, what, why, when, and how, then how is it that we can know whatever number we're putting out there at, as the goal is achievable and measurable? And, and therein, I think, lies a significant problem with a lot of people's business planning strategies. Yeah, I can see that. Have you heard of a lot of different people's planning strategies over the years just by asking, or is this kind of just comes up in the industry? You mean, where did I get to this, or what have I heard from other people? Well, sorry, I'm just trying to... Heard from a, Yeah. No, no, yeah. Where, like, yeah, we kind of, you said that there's obviously a breakdown in a lot of people's business planning. Is this just from hearing in the industry what other people are doing? Yeah. Or oh, so time? breakdown as in, like, it's not going well. Sorry, I was misinterpreting breakdown, yes. but now I know oh, what no. you mean. Yeah. 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 So I would say, I, well, sure. So it's not just our industry. I would say what I have, what I have found is that in sales, in the sales industry, there's always this push to do more, right? Like we're, we're surrounded by this, like whatever mindset to go climb the mountain and achieve more and make more and earn more. And all of those things are great. But I, what I would say I was most often exposed to particularly early on in my career was the model of like, what did you do last year? You did 200. Okay. This year you're going to do 400. And then I just felt like the number one, there wasn't a lot of what I would say science and data behind the conversation. Number two, I also got tired of trading time for money. So it, it to me, it just ended up being, okay, well go work harder, go work longer. And I didn't like that. I wanted to be able to work smarter. And to me, working smarter, that's when I started to dig into like the effectiveness of some of this stuff that I used to do. And what I found was a lot of the strategies and things that I thought were important and valuable were actually not nearly as important as I thought. And then that yeah. led to way more intentionality behind like, you know, the, first of all, the, even the concept of a revenue stream and how to drive you know, revenue. And a lot of this language is not, you know, this isn't language that we hear a ton in the real estate industry. This is actually, I would say like, you know, corporate big business language that I think, you know, in, in out, there's a higher level of intellect in a lot of other industries. And I would say that we could learn a lot from the way bigger business operates because there's a higher level of accountability. Uh, there's, there's way more importance put on measuring and analytics. And so I think just borrowing from other industries that are more complex and bringing it into our language and real estate is what's helped me arrive at, at this place um, in terms of how I plan and then how I function throughout the year. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And now bringing that to our businesses, I think it's, yeah, it's only going to grow from here. I feel like we just went on a long tangent there and I don't, I, I want to, <laughs> I want to come back to, to, um, to something. So I'll turn it, I'll turn it back on you. So how are you, I mean, I know you're here, we are talking, you're probably hearing some of this for the first time, but where are you at in your brain then? And in, in, how do you manage the, there's a pull between you think you're supposed to do more, but then you have this challenge of only so many hours in a day. So how do you wrestle with that, with that challenge of wanting to grow your business, but wanting to still have a life? And then how does it fit into this conversation of planning for you? I think like going back to what we said earlier, I think it comes down to what that lifestyle looks for you with the goal of obviously the monetary uh, amount that you want to make and then client care, but staying in your lane. And I mean, comparison is 
is a killer, especially in this industry because it's so measurable. And I think really, I'm again, this disconnect is really why I sparked the conversation with you anyways, was that it just needs to be about you and your business. And for me, it needs to be about me and my business, not what other people are doing. And there's many different factors of creating or growing a business too, where it's not just yeah, feet to the ground and how fast you can move, but more strategic and intentional activities, let's say for farming, for instance, it was great to hear that breakdown. It's more intentional than it is just moving quicker, you know, moving smarter and being more intentional with the goal. So um, I think you, I learned, I'll talk about me, I learned over the last few years what it looks like in my lifestyle to work by myself without assistant help or um, a team or anything like that. And that's just the way I personally wanted to run my business. But as time goes on, I realized that perhaps the smarter way for me to do this is to have a partner or let's say an assistant to be able to give me some of that personal time back and be able to be more intentional and smarter to take care of my clients the way that I want to. Mm. Because there's got to be a good balance between, in my opinion, pardon me, I I want to make sure that my clients get the same care that that I want to give them consistently across the board, no matter if you're buying a condo or you're spending $3 million on a house. I want that consistency for everybody. And what I've learned is when you do, when I get very busy, it doesn't fall off, but it becomes a lot harder um, and creates burnout over time that they feel the same way, but I feel taxed and that's not good for anybody. So reevaluating that in 2022 was um, kind of a big part of my business plan of how I was going to make that work. So where do you, where does it fall off for you? Like when you get, you know, busy and pressed and you start to see that, you know, your call it your customer service level is dropping. Mm-hmm. Where are some of the key indicators? Like what are you missing and not doing or, or having a hard time keeping up with? There's a lot of things that I find in this business that will keep you busy, but won't make you money and won't take care of your clients. Right. So mm. I think those, those things pull you away because there are responsibility admins, the responsibility of our business. And it's important. Contracts are important. You know what I mean? Especially contracts, but um, that stuff pulls, pulls me away from, from my clients. I feel sometimes I like to be three steps ahead of my clients, not um, them coming to me because that to me is client care kind of the server mentality of being there ahead of when their needs. You don't want them calling you mid transaction going, what do we do now? You want to have already laid it out. Completely. Like they need to have a roadmap before, before we even get started. And that's why I like working with first time home buyers, regardless of their situation, just because yeah, you want, I want them to have a roadmap and make it as smooth as possible. Cause I know what it's like to not have that. So that, that is probably my more, that's the first thing that kind of goes off the rails that I can start to feel like the bumpers at a bowling alley start to kind of hit the bumpers is when they're coming to me with questions that I could have already answered for them. And that's my first trigger. Okay. So maybe you haven't heard this, but I, in this podcast, so we released an episode last week. It was with Larry Siebert and Mm -hmm. I did a convo with Larry Siebert that we actually have cut up into two parts. So I don't know where this topic comes up. In it, whether it's part one or part two. So it's either just been released or it's going to be released in a, in a couple of weeks. But on this topic, that guy, and I shouldn't just say Larry, Larry and Marlene, they have such a detailed communication strategy with their clients that I think hits mm-hmm. the nail on the head with what you're talking about here. And so we get into this conversation uh, where I ask him about pre, during, and post communication with clients. So like pre being 
you know, you're working with them, but you're like prior to the transaction or prior to, you know, actually going to market. And then while you're on market or while you're shopping for a home and then after the deal's been done. And I think a lot of agents, and I put myself in this category, I would say that, yeah, yeah, I've got a good communication strategy. So I've got some stock emails that I've written uh, that go out at various points in that process. And that process can easily be, as we all know, like a number of months, right? Right. Larry and Marlene have like, I can't remember the exact number. I guess this is for everybody now. Just go listen to the podcast and you'll hear it. But I, <laughs> but I feel like it's not exaggerating to say that when Larry and Marlene work with a client during that period, that client receives somewhere between eight and 12 pre done communications and, and they have incorporated video in this. And so like, yeah. as an example, and so the reason I'm saying this is like, it touches on two things. Number one, you know, you're talking about delivery of high level customer service. And then we get into the conversation of like, well, maybe I need to hire an assistant. And while that is true, I think we all get to a level where we need to have an admin assistant. Some of this can be done. So Larry and Marlene have pre-recorded these stock videos that are ready to go in email form. And a lot of these things never change, right? Like they talk about, you know, what happens after you have an accepted offer? What happens when uh, paperwork gets sent to a lawyer? Who you need to call once you've got a sale and, you know, things like, you know, whatever, utility companies and whatever. What's happening between firm and binding contract and closing? And then there's like post stuff. And so once they get a client in their system, they put them on the schedule to receive these pre-driven emails. And it's incredible. And then even if like a person could say like, well, you know, all of those might not be applicable to, you know, every client. And that's totally true. But what it does is it keeps you in contact with your client. And even if the content that's being delivered isn't totally applicable because, you know, there's variations in transactions. The yeah. fact that they're getting an email is more likely to trigger maybe a question that's not covered in the email. And that I think is the biggest piece of value because where balls get dropped is when there's no communication, right? So if yeah. your client receives a stock email that at any point in the transaction that speaks to something, maybe what you made up in that email doesn't answer the question they have, but now they're way more likely to pick up the phone and say, hey, thanks so much for the email. I was actually wondering about this and now that's preventative client care because you're, 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 you, you did something that triggered a communication before it was too late. Completely. Yeah. And that's still staying ahead of them. You know what I mean? You're, it's preventative, which I think is amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyways, I, I was, you know, I, I've been done this for 18 years. I've known Larry for, you know, my whole real estate life. And, um, I was sitting there talking to him going, laughing inside going, okay, number one, I thought I did this well, but there's more I could do. And, and I've never, yeah. and I've never heard him, I've never heard him talk in depth about that. And I think it's amazing. Like, I think that that's a, that's a really, really valuable um, thing to do for, for our clients and for the whole process. Yeah. And imagine being like me, who's four years into the business compared to some who are 10 or 15 and learning these things as we go along. Like I've worked um, with Larry and Marlene on the buyer side and their communication, even for the agent side was great. So actually even learning ideas like this, I think that's valuable. I love this. Yeah, they are. Um, they're yeah. They've run an incredible business for many years. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to go back to um, one of these earlier um, 
topics we we ticked on because I I didn't mention something and I and I would think it's uh, it's really important to me, so I wanted to mention it. Yeah. When I do the like when I go away for a day and I I said I I plan out you know the hours in my day, so you know it's literally all block time from like say you know nine a.m. to say noon. I'm doing the reflecting piece, and then I'll have lunch break, and then it's in the afternoon that I'll get into the dreaming and uh and a little bit of the building as well and then i i should say that when i when i do these weekends i don't work past dinner like i'll give myself you know i only have so much mental energy and and um and this is, yeah and this this gets to the point like so i would say that in this process it's important to you know create a reward like i think rewards are are really valuable for for motivation so for me my favorite hotel in whatever this whole area here is the Fairmont Pacific Rim. And I absolutely love the lobby lounge in the Fairmont Pacific Rim because the lobby lounge has, lounge has amazing sushi and they've got the best old fashions. So, so this sounds stupid, but it's not stupid. Like I, I know like that. So that's like my, that's my little reward at the end of the day. Like I know that at four o'clock I get to stop working, close my computer, kick my feet up, order my, my favorite old fashioned and get like a sweet sushi platter or whatever. And then, and then the rest of the night is, is, is nothing. Like I, I don't, I literally, you know, usually just kind of sit in my room and watch movies and, and whatever, right? Like it's, it's literally just low, low key, but I think it's really important to just like, it's important to build rewards into our year. That's a, I mean, that's another huge conversation. That's another massive one. Yeah. To, to, but I, but I build rewards even into my business planning day because I want to, I feel like if I put that nugget at the end of the day, then I'm more likely to make the hours in the day that much more valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Back to basics. The old sticker system that works. I've done years where <laughs> I've, I've booked massages at the end of the day as well. Like, you know, in whatever, just get whatever treatment you want. And so at 4.30, I know I'm going up and I'm going to get a massage and it's going to be amazing. So, um, well, what an incentive if you don't feel accomplished by what you've got so far, you not it's not going to, it's not going to taste the same. <laughs> yeah. Do you do, uh, throughout your year, do you plan rewards, like, like activities for rewards or have you, what have you done with that? I've told, I've been told, um, by many people booking vacations is probably the key to, a massive amount of success, which I mean, absolutely makes makes sense. It's um, it's a reward system, right? So quarterly or wherever you choose, you book a trip, something to look forward to, um, something to chase. And I think what it does is prevent burnout. I wouldn't say that I've mastered it by any stretch, um, but again, 2022, I have it written in there to book intentionally book trips so that there is always something to look forward to. Um, and I think it really does not. I wouldn't say prevent burnout, but I think it definitely aids to burnout to know that you will be able to disconnect and when those trips happen making sure that it's not half in half out you know like mm -hmm. if you're blessed enough to have somebody to keep your business running while you're gone or help then i think being able to fully disconnect for those trips is, is a huge reward and if you come back to fully charged so that's on the goal list <laughs> totally and i i would say for me too like that has you know COVID obviously through everything on its ass in the last year and a half. Yeah. But, but previous to COVID every single fall without fail, maybe there was one or two years that we missed, but me and Kristen were away alone 
without the kids every single fall. It was usually in November and it was like Hawaii or Mexico or whatever. And, uh, and, and that was like, I mean, yeah, like I'm thinking about that already in June kind of thing. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's just, oh, yeah. it's that little, and not that we didn't go away other times, but that was a time that we would always get away alone. You know, vac- vacations with the kids aren't quite the same. Not as, quite the same. Yeah. It doesn't quite ring the same. No. <laughs> you know what? You just triggered another thing. So I, so yeah, I, I totally have done that. I think that's amazing. The other thing that I've done for many years, and this is kind of in secret, um, and I'll explain why is I like, so I'm a very social person. I like people. And people no. are, yeah, yeah, I know. Hard to imagine. Yeah. And, but, but you know, some people like when you go out with people, some people actually that takes energy, right? And so they, they like people, yeah. but that's an energy suck for me, except in ex- rare circumstances, being with people is actually, it gives me life. It doesn't, energizing. It, it's, mm-hmm. ener- it's totally energizing. Yeah. So, and I and I love to, I don't know how to word this. I would just say that I love to create memories. Like I, to me, like to spend dinner out with like some people that I would consider to be like close friends and to have a memorable evening like that, that to me is something to look forward to. So over the years when I have had, uh, you know, goals that I've achieved at various points in time, I have celebrated those achievements with friends but those friends don't even know what they're participating in so it's not like i (laughs) I, I, i'm well and hear me out so it's not like i call these people up and say hey i just sold my 40th house let's go celebrate i'm taking you out that that's not it at all Mm. i'm just saying you know i'll all like in your i've had catered dinners at my house for groups of people well i've done like you know whatever like fancy dinners i love to dine and i love spending money on food so i've had some crazy dinners it's usually always centered around food what the people at these experiences don't necessarily know is that this was a milestone in my career i was creating a memory with people that i loved but they didn't know they were just there and that's and that's all they need to know and that's all and that's all yeah and that's all that you needed exactly but i have these like i have very clear memories of things that i accomplished like there's one in particular where it was, it was a number of years ago, but it was, I, I had crossed a significant milestone and I had done something that I felt quite proud about. So I had a caterer come into my house and we threw a dinner party and it yeah. was, it was for no reason at all. Like it wasn't like whatever. We just said we want to throw a dinner party. And like, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was like seven course, you know, tasting menu, wine pairings at every level. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, it, you know, it was, it was elaborate, right? Like totally elaborate. And everybody there was like completely blown away because they knew they were coming for dinner, but they didn't know that, that, you know, it was going to be quite like that. And I didn't tell any of them in that moment that, oh, you're here because I, you know, sold this many homes or made this much money. Right. It was just, I just said, you're here because you're important to me and, and, or to us and we love you and we like to do awesome things with friends. And that was it. But that is a memory that I'll have in my brain forever. And I try to do things like that throughout the year as like those those little rewards. I think that like, again, this platform or podcast or, or being in the office or hearing any of these things, you get to take away what you think is incredibly cool. And I think it's in the reflection piece, celebrating your wins is something I'm personally not incredibly good at, but I want, I want to be better at and work on. I think a lot of people kind of, I think a lot of people are like that, but that is a very cool way of being able to remember 
and reflect on what you did that you're very proud of rather than just having a, well, that was nice and feeling good about it yourself. I think that's a very cool way to reflect on it. Because I think it's important to reflect on what you're proud of and what you accomplished. Do you listen to any other podcasts? Like, are you a podcast person or no? I'm more of a book person right okay. now, to be honest with you. But yeah. So I like podcasts and there's a few I listen to. And so from time to time, I'll listen to Dak Shepard's podcast. Oh, I love him. Yeah, I've listened to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had Ed Sheeran on uh, recently. And I'm a, I'm a big Ed fan. Uh, I like it. <laughs> You're a big Ed fan? Yeah, I'm a big Ed fan. I'm actually, you know what? I'm actually probably more a fan of Ed the person than I am the music. I love his music, but like, I actually think he's a really amazing, honest human. And so he talked, this is just a recent episode. Like Ed was on the episode, like I'm going to say two to three weeks ago, he was on Dax's podcast and Ed's got this coolest story where along the same lines, he, so Ed's a huge wine drinker. And I mean, and he's, he's had to back off of the alcohol. He talks about it himself because he, uh, he abused it for a, a period of time, but he celebrates accomplishments with relationship and wine. So, and same thing, he doesn't necessarily tell his friends what's going on all the time, but he yeah. wants to have a memory tied to achievement. And the way he ties in the memory is with people because he loves people so much. So he's got, I think it's like a room in his house where he has memories attached to empty bottles. He keeps the bottles. And I think he even writes himself a note or something like that along with the bottle that's amazing. To this point in his life, he literally has hundreds. And there's a and the, and so in in the podcast he actually talks about a few of the bottles and the memories that he shared and the people that he did it with. And and sometimes it's because, oh, like my record went platinum or oh, I won a Grammy or like whatever it was. But ra- it, it's not just, oh, I won the Grammy. It's I won the Grammy and then I had this night with this person and we drank this insane Italian wine and we laughed and cried and now he has that cemented into his brain i i think like i listened to that episode and i was like ed gets it ed totally gets it yeah it hits home for sure absolutely it's very intentional which i i mean i love and have done a lot of research on being intentional in a lot of ways and i think that's extremely intentional to be able to look back and reflect on something that yeah you were proud of and a memory attached to it was whatever you enjoy whether it be people or something else i think that's very cool yeah I have an idea as we, I'm looking at, I've taken more of an hour of your time, so I'm going to let you go, but I have an idea. Nope. We got to do a follow-up, like maybe first quarter or second quarter and do a catch-up as to how, how 2022 is going and pros and cons and adjustments and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Sweet. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for, <laughs> Slip, I think you slipped into my DMs. Is that what it's yeah. called when you? <laughs> thanks for s- slipping into my into my DMs and uh, and be willing to uh, to do this. I think it's it's going to be this will be really valuable for um, I, I you know not to overflow pump it, but I, I think it'll be valuable for people as they uh, as they endeavor to you know finish off their own business planning for 2022. Yeah. No. Thank you for the invite. This was great for me too. I I learned a lot. So yeah, it goes all around. Okay, cool. Well, we'll uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Okay, thanks. Talk thanks. to you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye.